This is episode 25 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm your host, Eli. And let's talk about dance. Let's talk about dance. I would like you listeners to know, this is just a little behind the scenes tidbit, that Andrew practices that tagline pretty much every episode. And there's nothing wrong with that, Andrew. I want to affirm your conscientiousness and your fastidiousness. I think I get it right almost every time in practice. By now? What? Yeah. Have you noticed I actually freeze with it the most at the end? <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's like you got to bring your brain back in from orbit. It's such an emotional ending <laughs> to, to our episodes. Is it the end once again? So, here we are. All right. So, if you're f- tuning in for the first time... Please forgive us. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, so my name's Andrew, and this is my co-host Eli, and we are Americans who live here in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. Which is the very southern western little nub of Russia. Southern western. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, we really, really enjoy our lives here. We love this region. It's a fascinating place with different languages and cultures and peoples all in this tiny area of land. That's right. But they're all mixed together and really interesting. And uh, we're doing this because we want the rest of the world to know about it. So, Yep. Our goal is to draw out, emphasize, and share really positive aspects about life here that pretty much don't get covered in other outlets. Yeah. Yeah. So we, last episode, episode 24, we broached a huge topic. I think I've, Massive. it's the most unworthy I've ever felt of a topic we were addressing wow. in this podcast. I, I relate to that. Yeah. Deeply. <laughs> but in case you haven't heard it, it's called Lesginka, which is the national dance of the North Caucasus. That's right. Yeah. And so we're going to keep that, that train going today, the Lesginka train. Um, but first, we have a new segment. These segments have just been rolling out. <laughs> It's like we're ADD, but the fact is we keep we keep track of them. We actually listed them all the other day. <laughs> there there are there's lots of good things to talk about. So this segment is called Book Club. Book Club. Have you ever been in a book club? Never. Well, I've been in groups that read books. I've read g- books with groups of people, but it was never called a book club. We're both definitely like <laughs> denying that, in total denial that we were in book clubs. <laughs> For some reason, I, th- I associate book clubs with like canvas tote bags and hmm. um, like jumpers. I associate <laughs> it with, yeah, people my mom's age because she has done many book clubs. Without shame. Love you, mom. Love you, mom. Okay, so... In case you didn't know, I'm sure there's lots of fans of Russian literature out there, and I'm sure you guys know kind of the basics. Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. In the West, Solzhenitsyn is pretty well known. And I would just like to release all of you that you can be a fan if you haven't actually read these authors. That's okay. In today's world, that is okay. I just want you don't shy away from that. Just because you've never read Russian literature doesn't mean you can't be a fan. Yeah. <laughs> And we we did an episode, I think it was episode 14, about the North Caucasus role and place in Russian literature. And that was like uh, like a treasure hunt almost. Like I had no idea how much 
what a rich place the North Caucasus has in Russian literature. It's significant. Yeah. So um, I recently, I had always told myself, I'm going to read the classics, the Russian literature classics. The big fat ones. In Russian. Oh, man. And I, I would never tell myself that. I basically came to a place recently where I realized that ain't never going to happen. He was on his knees <laughs> in the rain weeping. But I gave up on that. And since I did that, like, <laughs> Andrew, it's you, been so freeing. You put it on hold. Yeah, just, there we go. There we go. But so I started, I started reading specifically the Russian, some of the classics about the North Caucasus in English. And I've been flying through them because I'm reading them in my native language. <laughs> Amazing what happens yeah. when you. So yeah. I want to I bring up one book today. It is a classic. It's by Leo Tolstoy called Haji Murat. The basic plot of it, it's set during the 19th century, uh, during the Russian Caucasus War, when basically the Caucasus was made a part of Russia. And it really, really shows amazingly well the just stark contrast between Russian culture of the elites and simple Caucasus culture. So who's the, who is Haji Murat so, in a ha- nutshell? Yeah, so... If you don't know anything about that war, the basic plot is Russia was seeking to make, uh, through war, make the North Caucasus a part of its kind of empire. And there was a man from Dagestan, an Avar man named Imam Shamil. He was a, a Muslim religious leader, and he basically rallied most of the North Caucasus to fight back against Russia. And so it was a really long war. It was almost 40 years long. Gosh. Um, and so Imam Shamil is really revered in Caucasus history. To this day, yeah. But so the two like big figures were Imam Shamil and then uh, Yermolov. He was a big Russian general during that time. And then Haji Murat was one of the Caucasus like big kind of name fighters, but he turned sides to the Russians in the book. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's historical. Uh, it is, it's not historical. Ah, so it's it, like it's historical, historical fiction. fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the James Michener version of the Caucasus Wars. Yeah. And so basically his goal is he's wanting to get his family free, who's been taken capture uh, huh. by Imam Shamil. And a lot of the story is set with him basically living among the Russian camp and just experiencing them experiencing how different he is and he experiencing how different they are. And he's, he's Chechen in the book. Well, is there a, um, is there an angle? Is he pro anybody? I mean, you know, he really, I just came away reading the book, understanding better kind of how Russia and Caucasus history started together, Mm -hmm. which is just fraught with tension, you Uh know? And I think there's a great quote that um, is in the book. Uh, I think it really defines well, even to an extent today, not just like the misunderstanding and differences between Russian and Caucasus culture, but really cultures all over the world. When you meet somebody who's from a totally different place than you, religion than you, background than you. And so uh, Haji Murat was in, he was at these like, Russian balls they would be throwing in the soldiers' camp. Man. Which was, like, so influenced by, like, French culture and people were speaking French uh-huh. some. And, but people would always come up to him and dress totally different from him 
and say, so what do you think about our life here, our balls, our traditions? Kind of saying it with pride. Right. That like, oh, I'm sure he loves it. Right. And he would never say anything negative back, but he would always respond kind of uh, neutrally by saying something like, you know, we don't have anything like this where I'm from. (laughs) But he has this amazing quote. He says, a dog could feed a donkey meat and a donkey could feed a dog hay and they would both starve. And basically wow. said, if you think about it, like a dog eats meat and loves meat, donkeys love hay, but they would never eat each other's food. And he was basically saying, our cultures are so different and we don't need to try to reconcile them because, yeah, it's just fascinating. Appreciate them for what they are. I had to like put the book down. Yeah. Like when I read that and think about that, I thought that was, and that's part of the Tolstoy's genius is he has just lots of really good insights like that. You never would have gotten there if you'd been doing it in Russian. It's true. <laughs> I, I would have I would been like, wait a minute, what? Donkey? Hey, what? <laughs> hey, Andrew. So in terms of like, if I'm, you know, kind of stirred up listening to you, in terms of girth units, I mean, what are we talking about with the Tolstoy book here? It's I mean, not long. It's actually not long. All right. Yeah. And we have a link to it in our show notes for episode 14 um, about the North Caucasus in Russian literature. Um, but yeah. Have a read. By the end, I felt like it started slow and finished really strong. Like uh-huh. It really built up momentum. So if you want to transition from being a fan who has not yet read any Russian literature to a fan who has, it yeah. could be Haji Murat, H-A-J-I? H-A-D-J-I, Murat. Murat. And yeah. where did you get it, like on Amazon ebook or what? Yeah, you can get it real cheap on Amazon ebook. Nice. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be quite the Tolstoy classic to jump into, straight into the Caucasus. Hey, I've got a segment, Andrew. Okay. While we're on segments, wow. that was our book club. I've got our culture couch, our, our, our culture shock couch. We're calling it couch like psychologist couch. So we uh, are, you know, our emphasis is to really celebrate the caucuses, but we are also living cross-culturally and um, believe that like our lives and our experience are a real resource to share with our listeners, many of whom have crossed cultures or live cross-culturally and I think maybe could benefit. So these are, these are observations that we've had that are not, um, they're not inherently negative things about local culture, Yeah, but they are things that can be hard to adjust to. It's like feeding a dog hay. <laughs> or donkey <laughs> meat, I've always said. So one of these, this is not unique to Russia or the Caucasus. I think it's probably widespread throughout Europe. But if you've never been here, one of the most distressing experiences for, I think, especially Americans, I don't know about Western Europe, but really Americans, is your first time in a supermarket. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's enough just to get in there and try and identify things. You're like, well, I think the white stuff <laughs> is probably milk. And I think these squares are probably butter, but I don't know. Yes. It, it, like it, it could be <laughs> lard. I mean, and you, you come home and find all these exciting surprises. Um, but you, so you get through it and you're, you know, you're like, I've done it. I will survive. Like dinner will happen. And you get into this checkout line and we could talk about the demeanor of like customer service people. <laughs> Which is not really the point of this, because that's its own cultural This has moment. potential to spiral. <laughs> it's Snowball. That's it's, the word I was looking for. It's either one, man. But it's when they scan that 
food item, you know, what happens next in the U.S., that checker is either a checker who passes the food to a bagger oh. or is him or herself a checker and a bagger. Meaning oh, okay. they got the thing right there, they check it and bloop right into a bag for you. Not so here. Uh-huh. The checker scans a thing and one could construe it as a look of derision. Casually. Just casts it aside. I was going to say a scant. A scant. It'd be perfect. <laughs> casts it asunder. And it just piles up right next to the <laughs> checkout line. And you, it's your job to bag it. I wonder how many of our listeners this would bother. No. Andrew, <laughs> listen to me. This should bother any red-blooded American. Because not only do they not bag it, it's not just that they don't bag it, but as soon as they're done, and you've got this pile of food there, they sit there and they, they give you the amount and they just wait. They just wait for you to pay. You got you to gotta time everything right. And they just wait. And if you're not ready for this, you've got this pile of food and you're trying to shove it in this bag. And I'll tell you, bagging is actually kind of tricky when the bags are not suspended by themselves open. <laughs> you've got, and the bag is going everywhere. And there's this line. As soon as you pay, let's say you pay with a card, the instant that payment is through, she is bloop, bloop, oh, yeah. bloop, the They're next moving. person's food. Right on, like literally right on top of yours. <laughs> now. The saving grace in this is that no one else is bothered. They don't care that you're there, that all your food's piled up. That's a good up. point. They, they're not like, yeah. th- this is normal. I've never seen any argument there at that side of the line <laughs> well, between customers. Well, no, well, he hasn't shopped with me, but <laughs> between local customers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I will say that has been one of the like high blood pressure moments for us. It's wow. Like, you're trying to get all the food in and you feel like this pressure of all these people, but you learn that, that actually it's not a high pressure situation. It's just, it's not bad it's just different mm. but so now yeah now it is a dance i'm bagging i'm reaching for my card i'm bagging i'm grabbing oh, a child man. i'm sliding the card in the thing i'm back you know and you and you get it done first mistake you made was taking your child <laughs> <laughs> i i learned that a long time ago not to do that oh, andrew has seen i need me. to show you my system andrew has seen me on the street walking with children and said where are you going and i'm said to the market and he's just shook his head Smiled. And Bad sh- idea. <laughs> I ha- I have I, want to hear I have such man. so much down to a T that I'm often two people back. I've got all my food on the thing, and I'm already leaving the line, putting my card up, and getting my bags. That's ready. right, getting your bags. You, that's you right. You got to prep it. You got to prep it. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that's is, a good point, though. I've been here long enough now that I'm just so used to that. Yeah, that, but the first time you were yeah, in there, man, exactly. Yeah, you feel it's, like it's you're a all thumbs. Yeah, you're just like this. How is and, and what happens in cross-cultural encounters like that is your first response is like, how do people live like this? I mean, it's just like you can't see that yeah. there's a way that this works. But then you adjust through opening your heart <laughs> and learning new skills. That's what you were going to say. <laughs> so that's my, that's my couch. That's my culture. Man, that's actually good you couch. shared that because I think all of us – have common things we've probably been bothered by moving overseas, but all of us have different things too. And I'm sure I have things that have bugged me that wouldn't have bugged you. Yeah, but I guarantee you if I ask any other American here, they know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's all right. awesome. Well, that's it for, <laughs> for that. Man, man, let's get into the real segment here. So this is part two of talking about the Les Ginka, the national dance. Les Ginka. 
in the North Caucasus. And before we continue our discussion about Leskinka, I have another one of our segments, me quizzing Eli spontaneously. (laughs) But this is part of the real thing. Yes. So I have before me 13 or 14 national dances, like international dances. Of different nations. And I'm going to quiz you to see if you can associate the dance (sighs) with the nation. I don't know about this one, man. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm... If you don't know about it, think how bad it would be if you were quizzing me. Okay, yeah, so there'd be a lot of silence to cut out. Let's um we're gonna put a little Les Ginka music in the background here, which by the way, very sad, Les Ginka was not on any list I researched about top famous international dancers. They don't know. So we're gonna play ah, Les Ginka. Right, right. We're gonna play Les Ginka in the background, and I'm gonna quiz Eli. Alright, bring it on. Here we go. All right, number one. One. Samba. What country did that originate it's in? It's only from one country. Uh, the samba is clearly from... Um, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this with music playing in the background. <laughs> um, I'm going to say the samba is from Brazil. You got it. Boom! One for one. Good start. It's all downhill from here. I know. Good job. All right, how about the salsa? Well, it's obviously not Brazil. <laughs> yeah, no, no uh, duplicates here. Um, the salsa is not from Argentina. Nope. Is it from Mexico? Close, Cuba. Ah, should have known that yeah. one. Yeah, good guess though. I uh, cross-researched multiple lists, and so I think so everything's solid. These are the re- here. reliable yeah. ones from the internet. How about ballet? Woo! I thought I knew this right off the bat, but um, it's obviously either Russia or France, and I'm going to say France. Close. It was Italy. It came out of the Italian oh, re- Renaissance, this. but then it moved in right into France. Do you know I knew this? I'm sure you knew that. <laughs> What's that about everyone? <laughs> I did study that in college. He knew that, everyone. All right. How about the tango? I would just have no grid to differentiate any of these. There's no there's no duplicates here. No duplicates. So it's not from Italy. Nope. And I mean it has to be from it has to be from Spain, but I would think you would do flamenco, but maybe that's too easy. Spain. Good guess. Argentina. Same language. The tango's from Argentina? Yeah. Alright. Hey, you're making good guesses though. Educated Thanks. guesses. They're at least educated. All right, how about the waltz? One, two, three, one, two, three, um, Austria. The Vienna waltz is from Viennese Austria. Viennese waltz is from, they hold say, on, give me a second chance okay, now. Okay, if the okay. Viennese, uh, <laughs> well, then. It wasn't fully out of your mouth, so it, yeah, it won't that's right. count. Uh, my hand was still on the piece, the, the chess piece. Um, uh, it's, right, it's right next to Austria. It's got to be uh, Germany. Germany, nice. I'll give you that. Two for five. Okay. <laughs> If you were a baseball player, you'd be batting 400 right now. Thank you. Like, that's the greatest average ever. Just All right. Keep that in mind. How about tap dance? I love tap dance. Um, I'm going to do a little thinking out loud here. Tap dance proper, we think of as like Broadway, but step dance, there's a lot of Irish step dance, clogging Appalachia. Uh, America? USA. Woo! You got it. And actually, most people would say specifically tap dance 
uh, originated probably from Africa and some of their like slave traditions. Yeah, because there's, then, there's yeah. it was uh, like a um, gumboot mm-hmm. dancing was like a stomp step okay. dancing. Man, three for six. Okay, Good bring guess. it on. How about the belly dance? <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, I'll, you can just guess a region here and not a country. I wasn't able to nail down a country on belly dance. North Africa. Close. They say from the Middle East, but North Africa often can be connected to it. It's so the region. I'll give you half. Okay, I'll take I'll yeah. take half. I mean polka. <laughs> Possibly Poland. Yeah. Czech Czechoslovakia or Poland. Czech Republic. Bohemia. Bohemia. Yeah. Yeah. So oh man, you're doing really well. Flamenco? Spain. Spain is right. And the wild card, Kabuki. Japan. Man. Because I have danced Kabuki. Wow, that is... You got one, two, three, four, five. That was a fun one because I did, did well. really good. I, Man, I, th- my I ignorance. think I would have max gotten one. No. I, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't try me on, like, baseball. All right, am I fading this music out now? Fade that music out. That, that was fun with the Liz Kink in the background. All right. All right. Let's actually talk about Les Ginko. Oh, time's up. <laughs> okay, so last episode we talked about history of Les Ginko. We tried to describe probably pitifully like what some of the motions are, arm movements, leg movements, what it means for Caucasus people, where its place in society. Um, today we're going to really get inside Eli's head and fingers and toes. And, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little about what you've been doing here the last couple of months, Eli. It's been over six months. I um, came here having seen videos of Liz Ginka and thinking it'd be really awesome someday to be able to freestyle in Liz Ginka. Right. And uh, I asked around for teachers. My son was interested, my, my then seven-year-old, uh, six-year-old, um, and nothing really came together. And we, were, <laughs> we had enough on our plates just to, you know, adjust to life here. Yeah, this was like year two of your existence in Russia that you took this on. Right. And so then we found that there's actually a studio, which is nice because it's not just like some random person, what are you, coming to your house or something. And they actually have tons of dance lessons at the studio, including belly dance. (laughs) (laughs) They not only have belly dance, they have a class on tribal belly dance. Oh my. Whatever that may be. (laughs) We have not pursued an answer to that question. Uh. But the point is they've got... Ballet and hip hop and break and so on. And yeah. And um, so I signed my my son and my, and myself up for Les Ginka classes. Mm, Cool. So you've been doing that six months now, taking lessons, weekly lessons, more or less. Yeah. A little over six months. That's awesome. And at first I thought that was a long time, but I've come to realize that it's just a drop in the bucket. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And my daughter has joined them in the last probably month and a half. So give us a feel. I mean, who's in this class with you? So I actually heard about it through a, a classmate in the university. Okay. So she's Belgian. And wow. Yeah. And she's in her 20s. And, she, and so I went and joined and it was her. I'm definitely the oldest person. And there was there's like a, uh, eight or so high school girls. Okay. They're all high school. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, sometimes a few more. And then there's a couple of high school boys. Okay. 
And then some younger kids, uh, boys, like age 8 to 14-ish, 13-ish. Okay. So it's mostly younger kids, definitely, like student yeah. age, but they have had other adults. So when you started taking classes, how do you learn this dance? Because I've kind of gotten the impression from Caucasus folks, like you just grow up seeing it done from the age of a kid, and so Man, you just get good at it. That is watching. true. And that is one of the most challenging things about learning this. At your age or... I think as a foreigner, okay. I think age has something to do with it. It's, yeah. it's not uh, so for my for our listeners. I have a, a dance background, not at all like professional, but from early teens, even before that, all the way up through college and after, I've done dance of all different sorts. Okay, from ballet to hip hop to tap to ballroom, whatever. Wow. And so I have like a lot of dance experience in me, and this has been really challenging hmm. because. There's certain just like phys- a physical attitude or aspect that is deeply ingrained huh. in the kids doing it. Yeah, like they they have a carriage, they carry themselves. It's just so much of it is is ingrained and automatic that yes, they may have to learn specific steps, but right. like how they carry it out looks right, and it's taken me a long time to start to look a little bit right. Yeah, the posture. Are you talking kind of about? I mean, when I think of Les Ginka. I picture if it's a man, he's confident with his chest bowed out, man. smile on his face, yeah. and he's just strutting his stuff. Stock straight. Yeah. And um, it's, the, it's the whole, it's, you can't just boil it down to one piece, sort of like what makes it click. And that's been part of learning it. So yes, how do we learn it? The teacher, we, you know, it's a, it's a big empty dance studio with mirrors on the wall, and we all line right. up, girls on one side, guys on the other. We do some warm-ups, and we, and we just mimic and copy her gotcha. and so when it comes to actually learning new steps she'll break us up into groups and come right. to our group show us the step really slowly let us practice it for what seems like way too little time <laughs> and then come back and turn the speed up wow just make you do and it and just make us do it and um it's a great way to learn anything that's yeah so, <laughs> so but it's all show and tell there's nothing written there's no video i mean there's she doesn't show us any videos or anything it's just yeah, yeah watching her do it wow Huh. So with all your back dance background, were there, I mean, listeners, like every single part of your body has a specific role and we're going to talk about it. Your feet, your toes, your arms, your hands, your chest, your face. Were there specific things you kind of had to unlearn? Definitely. Like, which parts of your body were moving in ways they shouldn't have been moving that you've had number, to like train yourself? Yeah. Well, the number one. W- was my hips. Huh. Because there's different styles of dance. Like <laughs> if I'm at a like, I don't know, a wedding or a party and just kind of goofing around and like I'm fun and it's funky <laughs> or whatever, like it, you're loose. And yeah. you know, for me it's all it's like loosey goosey. Loosey goosey and just kind of doing whatever. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> One little twitch of your hips in the wrong direction and <laughs> You are not dancing Les Ginka. Wow. I'll just... There is no hip action. There is no hip Man, action. wow, yeah. So that was the first thing. I didn't even notice it, but she would just make fun of me. <laughs> I mean, that's part of her pedagogy is she'll, she'll, you'll do something and she'll just... You know, our Russian teacher, language teachers do this too. We'll like try and like read a sentence and let's say in Russian, they'll respond with, and now in Russian... Oh, wow. <laughs> After we've been reading, trying to say something Russian, it's that's, like, come that's on. That's just wrong. <laughs> so um, my hips was a big one. Huh. Um, 
Uh, keeping your back, I would say kind of hyper straight, like shoulders really pulled back, like you said, um, is not really hard to do, Yeah. but then to maintain it um, yeah. takes a lot of more probably focus than strength. That's, I feel like that's the one part of the dance. I've focused so hard on learning every other motion that I've totally not done that. You've Which, learned it. Well, I've watched it enough that I can do it now. Yeah, man. I mean, nothing to yeah, write man. home about. But uh, with that, kind of how you hold yourself, your upper body and your right. posture is the, kind of the attitude of confidence you want to portray. Yeah. And in studying this, I realized like, oh, that's the most important part. Yes, you know? exactly right. And I just have totally not done that. Yeah, but my, my teacher will always tell me um, to, to do it more chotki, chotki. Huh. Which means like precise, it, yeah, precise, clear cut. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the masculine essence of that. Yes. It's like sharp, strong, concise. And huh. for me, they're not very complicated motions, but I put them together, and I you know you kind of only focus on one thing at a time. So your arms are sailing away, doing something else while you're yeah. focusing on your feet, and wow. it's not very chotki at that moment. The feet have been the hardest for me, I would say. I would say that the chest is the thing I've thought least about, but the feet, my feet, I just feel like an idiot, just flailing. I feel like I've got the hand motions down decent. I kind of know the rhythm of it, but man, I, yeah. my feet are the ones that feel so unnatural to me. Yeah, the feet are hard and it's tiring. So why don't you talk us through each motion you have to learn with each part of your body? And maybe it'll help our listeners have a better understanding of what this dance actually looks like if they haven't seen it yet. Sure. Obviously there's a lot of different steps and I'll just describe some generic, some, some basic ones or classic ones. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the man. Um, do, did we talk about the symbolism last time? We did, but let's rehash it. Yeah. Okay. That might, it might help to zoom out and then zoom in. Cool. So, so the symbolism here, we talked about the, the eagle and the swan, right? Yes. So I actually learned recently that there's a kind of a deep history to this, that hmm. the first mention of Lesginka is from the, the Narts sagas. Okay. And so we mentioned before the Narts are the mythical, the mythical heroes. Okay. And they had miraculous births and they did courageous, courageous exploits and so on and so forth. But one of the, the first references ever known to Lesginka is from... Uh, how a hero, what's his name? His name was Sharvili, hmm. performed a, quote, flashing dance. Wow. What century was that? This is from one of the first Lesgi uh, sagas. So I don't know when those were written. Way back when. Way back. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his enemies were envious. And so they poured little peas on the ground to make him slip. Uh-huh. And instead he went up on his toes. And oh, so wow. The peas didn't hurt him. Oh, man. And then we talked about... Nice move, Charvili. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How, uh, you know, a, a man saw a woman and flew to her side and was showing off from his joy and exaltation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea is that the dance portrays the character of the man. Yeah. And it's supposed to give a chance, if it's, a, if it's used like in a courtship context, the woman should be able to see the true masculine essence. Yeah, courage, um, bravery. Courage, bravery, dexterity, creativity, ingenuity, huh. and speed. Okay. Um, 
And the man should be able to see the female characteristics of modesty, pride, and uh, gracefulness. So, yeah, yeah. so because of that, so the man's stock straight. The chin is kept, you know, keep up, not looking up in the air, but forward. Yeah. And the arms are usually between two basic positions. One we talked about with your elbows straight out to the side and your fists toward right tucked in at your chest. Yes. And sometimes one arm is extended out to the side in a fist. Yeah. Or the other way. Yeah, and they rotate. Yeah. And they, they can go back and forth. Um, or the hands are wide open. Okay. And like like you've just like you're throwing flash hands. Flash hands. Yeah. Like jazz hands. Yeah. Um, and those shoot back and forth. Yeah, yeah. The feet are meant to demonstrate agility and speed. And so there are these movements called gadialkas. I don't actually know the the literal translation of gadialka, but... I've never heard that, actually. Yeah, they're like little sets of movements where the body, upper, upper, upper body stays still. And if, you, if you've ever seen Riverdance, this is a good parallel, mm. where they're standing stock straight, their arms are down at their side, and their feet are like... Like blurring away. So, and it's it's a lot of like hopping back and forth between your weight on the balls of your feet here, your balls yeah. of your feet here, and but also when the man steps, he stomps. Yeah. So when his foot goes down, there's like a really strong stomp. Yeah. Um, and then there's a move where he goes up on his toes. in In ballet, in traditional classical ballet, women yeah. dance on point, meaning on the tips right, of their toes, right, and right. they have they have big shoes with a wooden um, like uh, a block of wood at the okay. tip and then a bunch of batting around the toe to, to hold it in place so that she can go on her toe. That's tips how of her they toes. do that. Yes. I did not know and that. And so their shoes sometimes like dunk, 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 and they go. The men are the ones who go on point in Les Ginka, but there's no wood block and there's no batting. They just wow. go on, on their, take your toes and you curl them under and stand. Yeah. And they don't just stand. They run and they jump. And it's, they do yeah. lightning fast uh, foot motions. And you ask what's been hardest physically. I have to stand on my toes that way in my class, man. She, she makes me, it's, we're going to have some links to like some guys doing the, that form of the Les Ginka listeners, but it's insane to watch. So here's, what's interesting about that. I, I was really afraid of that at the beginning. Actually, I had a ballet friend who visited a friend who dances ballet and she heard about that. And her first response was like, that's so bad for your feet. Huh. Bracket dancing on point in ballet is also really bad for your feet. I mean, <laughs> Like ballerina's feet are gnarly. Wow. It's just hard on your feet. And yeah. actually, yeah, it, it's painful, but it doesn't ever feel like it's like injuring me. Hmm. And I've gotten better at it so I can barely take a step or two. My son can walk across the room on his tur- toes curled under. Wow. And, and all the kids uh, learn to do that from a young age, which obviously helps because you're- That just like sounds painful. Half out of about. rubber. Yeah, it is. It's, it's painful. In your 30s to do that. That's the part, like, when I watch the Les Ginka, you're drawn to the, like, jagged motions of the feet and the arms. And, you know, sometimes they'll be twirling or jumping. But I think that's the part that's most easy, often missed is what's happening on the toes. And that that's just so impressive to me. It's super. It's, and when you, try, when you do it, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's really impressive. But, hey, you can't slip on those peas that your enemies yeah. are throwing at you. Wow. Um, so arms, toes, chest, face, like you said, um, when men perform this solo or like, if you look at videos, there's sort of two, we talked about this last time, there's two main versions of it. There's a staged performance version, everyone's in costume and it's choreographed. And then there's like a, a wedding version or a party version that people prepare for and they just 
break loose mm. or kind of on their own. Right. So in that one, the guy's face is radiant because he's demonstrating mm. his, his sort of his character. If he's pouting, then he's like totally missed it. Or if he's too focused, or if you look like you're out of breath, that, that one's really hard yeah. for me. I, man, I used to see guys acting like that, like doing the Les Ginka yeah. and kind of be annoyed at like the big grin on their face. <laughs> but now well, I get like, oh, it has meaning, you know? Why did it annoy you? I don't know. Like, because <laughs> you're a Scrooge. It, it looked kind of cheesy to me. Yeah. But like, yeah. That's part of the act and part of the dance. And, it, you know? and yeah, because it's supposed to show you virility and energy. Yeah. You know, this flashing dance and just to show, to outdo your competitor. Huh. Um, and so if you slack at all, you know, you're just emanating this energy. That's, that's such a skill too. I like in my former life, my old job, like I would be on a microphone in front of, huge crowds of school-age children, and we would be, like, pumping them up on the mic, doing events. But it was not natural for me to smile while I did that. I could get groups of kids super fired up, but that was one of the, th- the feedback I would consistently get from my bosses. Look like you're having fun, man. You, you need to, like, make yourself smile. And it eventually became natural. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember how hard that was for me. For the women, I won't say a lot about it. It's, it's a lot of similar things. They're on their toes almost the whole time. They're, they're, they're gliding along with small toe steps, mm. um, in classic Les Ginka. And then, um, their hands, they, their fingers have to be positioned to look like the feather tips at the end of a wing. Huh. And that means the, the, all the fingers are, are out straight pointed out in front of their hand kind of a little separate and the middle fingers raised and the other two fingers are lowered or it's the opposite. I don't, I think maybe it's the opposite. The middle fingers lowered, the others are raised and the pink is a little higher, but they all have it. I don't, I mean, they've like, they train their hands in it. Wow. And then they, I've never even noticed they that. swing those back and forth and they do a lot of like arched motions over their head and it's all very flowing, yeah. but it's very choreographed and, and there's a lot of skill in it because I see these girls practice. Some of them are, not as good. Right. And you realize like there's real skill. But the main thing for the woman is modesty with pride, meaning Mm. she's supposed to, skromnost is the Russian word, right? For modesty. modesty, She's supposed to keep her eyes down. She doesn't never lifts her eyes, but she never drops her chin. And our teacher will get after these girls. If they're, if their heads go down, then they're being overly modest. They're being like humiliated. They're yeah. acting humiliated. Huh. But sometimes the men and women will dance together. And the man is courting the woman or, or kind of leading him, her around with his arms outstretched behind her back without touching her. Right, right. And he's always supposed to keep his eyes like drilled he, on her. Yeah, I've noticed that. And she never looks at him. Huh. And, she's, and she just acts imperious and unaffected. It's very powerful. And I'll tell you actually a funny moment in our class. Huh. I always feel it. So we're doing warm-ups. And one of the warm, so we progress from like shoulder rolls and stuff to actual dance steps. And we'll go back, then we'll go to a time with music is blasting this whole time. We'll go to a time when the men and women go back and forth doing like eight or 16 counts of an action. It'll be like practicing the arms. Gotcha. And while one group is doing it, the other group is clapping. Right. Um, some of them are stationary. And then we start doing ones where we'll go like to the side eight and back eight. Okay. And 
there becomes this sort of back and forth between the men and the women. And we'll do a stomping thing with our hands flashing, mm. like a crossover step, like in eight counts in one direction and eight in the other. And the women oh. have to back up because we're coming, like marching toward them like right. this line of men. And then we'll switch and they'll do the same thing. And they all are on their toes and they're swinging their hands kind of uh, smoothly, but quickly. And their eyes are down but like there's a wall of them and they're all just yeah. coming right toward us. And there's this sense of intimidation. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not deep, but like, right. and they push us back, you know, and then they, and then ah. they recede. And so there's, you can kind of, there's a real power in it, in a sense, um, in their, in how they carry themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. Like watching, watching a choreographed group do it when there's like eight girls and eight guys, it's awesome. It is. And it you're right. It's kind of like one the wave of women kind of push the men back and then the wave of the men push the women back or they'll dance around them. And, right. Right. Yeah. But but the woman, in as much as she's being you know courted by the man, really holds her own. It's really interesting dynamic. Mm. Yeah, they we've talked about the eagle and the swan. They basically say the woman is like a swan who's trying to escape from the, the eagle's advances. But the eagle, without ever touching her, he does all he can to block her from running away. Right. And so, like, that's kind of what it, when you have that imagery in your head, you can really see that um, as it happens. That's cool. Yeah. Man. So let me touch real quick, and then I want to get back to your experience with this. So the one form of the lesginka is kind of the man courting the woman. And it's, yeah, often... The man's dancing around her. and um, But then another version is they say that it originated, maybe it was like a war dance, a Caucasus war dance. And you'll see this today where it's just lots of guys doing kind of strutty, showy, lesginka together. But the, the meaning of the dance is fascinating as I've studied it. Um, they say that like every single motion has some kind of meaning. For example, right. a firm fist or the fingers apart means it's like your hands are ready to attack. Yes. And um, let's see here. Your small steps, like back and or the tiptoeing, can represent like a warrior sneaking down the paths of a Mm -hmm. mountain, like quietly. Um, Often men will either jump into the circle or make a grand entrance and then do a pose. And that's all about like a surprise attack. A surprise attack, attack. exactly. Um, And even like... The toes can mean walking on the toes. It like represents like having discretion before you do make your entrance or your uh-huh. attack. Which, I mean, we just talked about Haji Marat. Like that's so ingrained in Caucasus history, is the battles over the years in the mountains and right. Which then they wear the traditional wear kind of right. old war costume and exactly. Yeah. So like learning that that has opened my eyes totally to every single movement has meaning. Yeah. Another interesting part about this is that lesginka is is it's a it refers to a complex a, a complex meaning a noun okay. not an adjective. It's it's a group of cultural features that hang together. It isn't just a dance, it isn't just music. It it's a combination of of these things enacted together in a certain way. And it runs from Iran over to Turkey. Hmm. Um it's it's 
found in all these places right, in right. their own expressions. Yeah. And if you go into each of the people groups, they have their own names for the dance mm. and their own music. Yeah. And yet there are like common features, like generally common clothes and and some music that is common to all of them and some motions that are common to all of them. Mm. But it's it's in the distinction, it's in the differences that people really revel. Mm. Like vive la différence, you know, this yeah. idea that uh, and so, and I would, I experienced this with my teacher. She she would go through different styles, and at first the difference would be so subtle to me, I almost couldn't execute it. Mm. Like the difference between Chechen and Dagestani, um, it's just one. But as you right. get into it, and you start feeling feeling it in your body, and f- you and kind of learning to to control your body in a way where you, um. You can like feel the space better. Yeah, you can really feel a difference in character in between them, mm. even through subtle differences. Wow. Like um, one is more showy, one is less. You know, like between Dagestani and, and Chechen Lesginka, my arms might go from my hips to palms straight out, arms straight out in front of me. Yeah, then up to my chest and fists and back down. Well, the attitude, the angle of my hands makes a difference in that motion between Chechen and Dagestani, which actually has a meaning because the Chechens are more warrior, more aggressive. It's further out front and it has a more frontal. Anyway, uh, like, look. I'm thinking of a Chechen friend right now, seeing him do his hands outward like that. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's slightly different. And so you can go into it and an outsider might just be like over my head or I don't care. It all kind of looks exciting and the same. But my point is, after a mere six months of learning this, you, my goal is to see it from the inside right. as best I can. And um, there's so much vested. Like you said, it's not just meaning, but it's like whose meaning is vested mm-hmm. in these steps um, that makes it so powerful for these people. Because it's like, that's our, ver- that's our lesbian. That's how wow. we do it. And even from village to village, it can be different. So I'm really excited to continue. Man, yeah, that's funny. I, I've seen lots of people do the Les Ginko, and everybody does it a little bit different. And my take on that has always been, I'm so American. Oh, that's each person's like individual expression. <laughs> you know, like how they kind of, yeah. Or like they learn their own moves, you know. But from what you're saying, it sounds like, Every different people here has a specific way that they do it, that they've learned. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So what would you say have you learned about, what has the Lesginka taught you about the Caucasus? It, for one, learning Lesginka has given me a lens to understand a little bit more, um, I think, how they see themselves. It's easy as an outsider to look in and see, for example, really strict or traditional gender roles. Right. And to think you understand that. And maybe even to judge it. Yeah. <laughs> but learning the dance and feeling the motions yeah. has made me realize it isn't, it's harder to understand than I thought. It's, there's a lot to it. Mm. There's a lot to being a man in the Caucasus. Let yeah. me put it that way. For yeah. example... Or being a woman. Now, you may not agree with it or, or aspire to that or whatever. Right. But it isn't just sort of a shallow, crotchety, sort of backward 
stuck in time thing. Mm. There's real depth and I think wealth to, to, and that's just one small aspect, but it's given me a bit of a mirror to look at myself as an American and what Mm. are the markers of being a man and demonstrating that in my culture and to kind of evaluate those, Mm. you know, from looking, looking back over the ocean, (laughs) you know, like, Hey, are these the things that I want to continue? Which of these do I want to keep for myself or do I want to adopt new ones or try and pass on to my my children? Yeah. And engender my home. And I'll say that there's definitely some things that I, I want to adopt more. Yeah. And I think that the, the Lesginka has given me a, a chance to, to understand that a little bit more. Cool. So listeners, here's the deal. You need to go to our show notes, click on the links and watch the Lesginka. You got to watch it. I mean, I, I just, I'm sitting here. I know what it looks like and I'm watching Eli do the motions as he talks. I, I'm still not sure like what you're picturing in your head, but <laughs> you need to click on these links and watch these people doing it. And yeah, the, we're going to have four or five links that show different kinds of, of the Liskinka, but hopefully that'll give you a better feel for what the heck we've been talking about. You just got to see it. Yeah. See it and believe it. So, and all you ladies out there, don't worry. We have in the pipeline, we've got a, a Caucasus lady who's going to be talking to us about from a woman's perspective. Excellent. The Liskinka. Yeah. So that's, that's coming up. Um, so listeners love to hear your feedback. Um, we'd love, especially to hear from our, our local Caucasus listeners, what the Lesginka means to you. Um, but please email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. Let us know what you think about this, what questions you have about the Lesginka. And, um, man, one day we always have something to say at the end about what they're going to do when they come here. But some, someday if soon, you, if you come here, I'm going to make you do the Les Ginko listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, this was episode 25 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. We will dance Les Ginko with you when you get here. <laughs>